Hey everybody, this is Lexi. This episode of Dork Matters contains some subject matter regarding mental health that some listeners may find triggering or difficult to listen to. Listener discretion is advised. Dork Matters. Well, and that's, there's a couple words, because then I worked with another person who called manatees manatees. Hmm, that sounds sexier. It does. I was like, ooh, is that the French version? It's the negligee version. <laughs> yeah, this is sexy sea cow. <laughs> <laughs> but I used to call, you know, Schweppes uh, ginger ale. I thought it was called Schwada peppers. And I I said it once and my sister was like, what did you just say? And I was like, Schwada peppers, because they have the delicious cranberry ginger ale. And she was like, that's not a thing. How did you get to Schwada peppers? I feel like the letters aren't there to make that happen. No, they're not, Ben. I I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Um, I didn't like cursive writing. I don't know. I I love cursive writing. Um, It's beautiful now. But as a child, I was like, what are those words? Those are the Schwada peppers. What has happened to me now is that my cursive writing has devolved into this like weird mash of like printing and cursive me too like a pigeon english of writing yeah and i wrote it out and uh a family friend was like watching me do like my letters just like we're doing them for fun showing people how we did letters and he's like that is the most anarchic (laughs) letter f i've ever seen i was actually kind of proud of that i can't say macabre you just said it like i said it now because i've trained myself that's a new thing. For most of my life, in my brain, I met it as macabre. I read, I, read, I read it first as macabre. I oh, I I hundred percent. That's how I spell it. There's a couple words. Oh God. Um. My brain just makes it happen that way. I think Calgary has a list of neighborhoods that have difficult to pronounce names. Like, um, I think Marlboro is a difficult word for a lot of people. They're like the marble place. I'm like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, sure. If you've never played Final Fantasy, it's a difficult word. <laughs> I have trouble with word. English is a weird... I was actually talking to someone about that this week. If I could go back in time and rethink my life, I would actually be interested in studying language because English is such a weird, dumb language. And Because we were talking about how she's uh, fluent in, I want to say Mandarin. And she said, because the historic aspects of like Mandarin and... Korean she's like oh, so I can kind of understand some parts of Korean easily whereas mm. we might understand parts of like German because they sound very English like Wasser is water sure and particularly in our uh, version of English in Canada we have all those French words mixed in and and British yeah. British English 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 also is very dependent on on the French language, but also I was going to say we should do an episode on sort of the Roman Empire, oh, like straight through yes. to modern day, because I think that'd be fun to timeline that. Just talk about how it starts out, and then like how basically you know we do have like modern remnants of of the the Roman Empire in in sort of the Catholic Church, and also in the sort of um, uh, spiritual succession of the you know American Empire. Yes. And like the British Empire and how that all worked out. I watched a 12 part miniseries on the history of Celtic people because I was like, I want to know where I'm from. Mm. And there was an element of one of the very first episodes that I thought was fucking fascinating. And I think about it once a week. And they talked about how Celtic peoples started in like the like kind of Greek Roman type areas and then started moving up. And they would bring with them, um, 
artifact. They would bring with them art. And so there's certain animals like crocodiles, for example. If you brought an artifact with you of a crocodile and you're three generations later, you're living in what's modern day Scotland Mm -hmm. and you have an artifact that originally was supposed to represent a crocodile and then it breaks. You've never seen a crocodile before. And so you're trying to explain what this artifact is to your children. And that's maybe the, um, the impetus of things like dragons is Mm. trying to explain to people, animals that did exist in hundred crocodile statues, right? But like, you don't have the internet. You don't really have the written word widely reproduced at this time. How do you explain animals that your like great great grandfather saw once? Maybe. Maybe after our wizard episode, we need to do dragons because it's interesting. Because also, there's um, I don't know if you'd call it convergent. Um, you know, there's that term convergent evolution for things that look alike but aren't actually yes as similar. But like you know, so dragons exist as a mythological creature in Chinese lore, and you know a lot of different uh, Asian culture lores. But yeah, that sort of divergent but similar sort of thing. It's probably just a language thing, actually. There's probably just like a different word for them altogether. And you translate that in English and it's dragon as well. That's cool. Uh, maybe I'll start us with our usual uh, a- a terrible approach to saying what were our shows about. Interdorctions. That's good. Oh, good. Interdorctions. Yes. I like it. I like That's a good pun. Good. And I liked it before I was a dad. I don't know if that led to me becoming a dad. Like... Your pun inclination. It probably, yeah. it probably helps. I think puns are a great yeah. form of art. Fuck the haters. <laughs> to borrow an idiom. <laughs> let's hit the let's hit the theme song. Welcome to Dork Matters, the show for, by, and about everything that matters to dorks. That sounds about right. Yeah, that's that's our thing. One of these days, what are we, nine? No, God, this is our 12th episode. This is the 12th episode. I have tentatively titled uh, episode 12, Dork Discussion: Mental Health and Gaming. Dork Discussion. that's good. Really couldn't come up with a D word. The serious side of dork matters. <laughs> yeah, I figured, you know, if we do more of these talks where they don't necessarily fall into a uh, a good D word, uh, a, alliterative pun or whatever, we'll just use the dork discussion catch-all. Love it. But uh, yeah, with that in mind, uh, welcome to the show. I am your dad dork, Ben Rankle, and with me um, as always is Lexi your mental health dork yeah Lexi decided a couple episodes she wasn't doing her last name anymore oh yeah because I'm just I'm like share but if you listen closely throughout the episode she will drop each letter of her last name in a cryptic way Ooh, I like that. and uh, if you listen closely you'll be able to piece, uh, piece it all together and uh, discover her name uh, like uh, a rebus in a crossword puzzle and then uh, you email that answer Lexi's last name to us at, uh, I don't remember what the fuck our, our email address is. Everyone at dork matters. <laughs> dot, dot com, right? Dot com, yeah. Yeah, everyone, yeah, you you uh, you message us that answer, um, put in the title, 
Dark Matters Rebus. And uh, yeah, the winner will get a prize. I actually, what I'd like to do is when we're getting into like the whole D&D stuff, like I would actually like to create some type of campaign that's a treasure map. And then I want us to go out and like hide a pretty decent presence out in the Southern Alberta Hmm. area, the the Treaty 7 territories. Tie it to a a coyote. They're fast, Ben. They're fast. Yes, and? Uh, Okay, fine. A coyote, but it has to be the tail because we can only catch the tail. Okay. Thank you for keeping me in check there. Yes, and? Oh, that'd be fun. I want like people to go on a treasure hunt at a safe treasure hunt and then like find our cool treasure and let us know if they found it. Yeah. The treasure is the friends that you made along the way. I was hoping you'd say that. In this case, likely a coyote. <laughs> you give it a name. You go on adventures together. You'll start an Instagram account. It'll become famous. You'll be rich. And you'll thank us. You'll, uh, you'll remember old dork matters when you get up there for that Academy Award. Oh my God. I worry sometimes about visitors coming to this part of the part of the woods and I see them on the side of the road being like, "Hun, look, it's a bear. Get out of the car. And I'm like, no, please get back in your car. That's not what you do. Don't feed the bears. Don't, don't get out of your car. Don't see the, don't, don't try to feed the bears. Don't try to touch the moose. You think it's a big deer, but it's a dangerous animal. Uh, The wolves are not going to let you pet them. Oh, Coyotes are dangerous. Lynx are dangerous. Cougars are definitely dangerous. Like just the wildlife in Alberta is generally speaking, not to be fucked with. Yeah. It's like the, a pleasant, softer side, Australia, everything will kill you. It's just slightly fuzzier, you know, for our climate. Well, here, here you'll get mauled versus there where you get yes, poisoned. That's a great distinction there. You die a slow, painful death here. It's a quick, painful death. Yeah. And it really isn't that all we can hope for. That should be like Alberta's, like, <laughs> quick death. Isn't that what you want? <laughs> a quick, painful death. We <laughs> promise you. Uh, I want to open up this discussion. Uh, we're talking mental health and gaming. And that might not initially sound like it's got overlap. But um, we are going to sort of talk about just uh, our experiences with mental health and with gaming and sort of the stigma that gets to uh, accompany both of those things. And that's sort of where these... Uh, these two concepts juxtapose for our discussion here. And so I'm going to start us with a little bit of a quote about video games from Roger Ebert. To my knowledge, no one in or out of the field has ever been able to cite a game worthy of comparison with the great dramatists, poets, filmmakers, novelists, and composers. That a game can aspire to artistic importance as a visual experience, I accept. But for most gamers, video games represent a loss of those precious hours we have available to make ourselves more cultured, civilized, and empathetic. So that's the quote. And I think uh, we're not going to get into the discussion of whether video games are art. Uh, Me personally, I 100% believe video games are art. There is a whole episode's worth of content on that that we could discuss. Um, Many examples that would come to mind with a little bit of better preparation on my part. but. Uh, you know, we're here more, I think we need to look at this, the stigma that informed Roger Ebert here, which is that the idea that, you know, time spent playing a video game is an active, uh, actively removing your ability to, um, 
you know, make yourself more cultured, civilized and empathetic. And there's a whole world of, I'm sure, uh, colonial roots and sort of racism that are tied up in a statement like that, that we are not necessarily equipped to dissect or or have the time to right now, but it's just sort of uh, belays that sort of, that, that sort of uh, belief that, that video games are sort of a trash medium um, and are, are, are lacking in culture and the people that participate in that is uh, people participating in that um, is, is an active waste of time. Um, and, you know, it's an interesting one because my gut first off is to sort of rail against it and be like, you know, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about by like, yeah. culture and video games that can be had. The experience is worth having. There's, there's technical skill involved that's worth experiencing. There's beauty in it. Um, and then another part of me that goes like, yeah, there's, there's definitely things that I've done where I've like, I should probably have gotten those 10 to 20 hours back uh, that I dumped into whatever um, and could have done something productive with them. But, you know, then we're into a whole realm of productivity as a, it's uh, a trap. Yeah. Necessity of capitalist culture that, uh, it's sort of its own problem to take apart there. So yeah, there's a lot going on with a statement like that and a stigma with gamers and, uh, Oh, um, like where, where do I begin? Yeah. We've talked about this a little bit before we've touched on it. I mean, we are dorks. Part of being dorks is uh, is our interest in gaming um, and being pretty uncool about it and being losery. I mean, a game like Stardew Valley to me is definitely <laughs> art. That's one of our first, that was our first episode. And that was, yeah, that's an art game for me. The practice of playing that game goes far beyond gaming to me. It's about an experience and existence in a world. And if that isn't art, transporting yourself to another world to exist for a while, I don't know what is. Well, isn't that the main point of art is to like elicit an emotional response? Yeah. Yeah. And to engage the viewer and create conversation. That is what they told me in art school when I was awake. There, we just gave you an art degree, everybody. Yeah. Save yourself 40 grand. <laughs> it's so frustrating, that type of mentality. Like I am mad. Yeah. I can see you're viscerally, viscerally upset with that. Yeah. First of all. Uh, my one of my big problems with it is when people are like oh it's for kids and a part of me is like well no it, it isn't but also like so what if it is like so that infantilizing of um content younger people's interests or a me well, but it, like it's that that your interests as a young person don't matter mm, oh interesting you're not a human being I like to play a game where I try to guess where you're going with things and I'm usually wrong and should probably stop. No, it's, where did you think I was going with that? Um, sort of just the idea of infantilization of media in general, like sort of how we treat, uh, not media in general, but a medium in general, mm. how we treat sort of like animation as well as lesser than because of the way yeah. it's produced. But I see where you're going now, which is... Yeah, like kids' interests don't matter and that they're not... And honestly, like some of um, the young people that I've known over the years, they're far wiser, far more intelligent, far more empathetic, compassionate than a lot of the adults that I know in um, my life because because they are able to express themselves in a wide variety of ways. And I think when you are able to forge friendships with people across the world because you play, I don't know, League of Legends or something online with them, 
Mm-hmm. And then we tell them, well, that's not a real friendship because actually you're only 13 and all of your interests don't matter is so dehumanizing. And I have a problem with that when people are like, well, it's for kids. Like that doesn't make it not important. It's something I've discussed before, which happens to uh, a female sort of codified media as well as sort of the, the lesser than um, and sort of the treatment of the fans of that uh, as lesser than. So, you know, oh, a boy band, you're into boy bands. Well, that can't be uh, worthwhile art because the art that you like cannot be worthwhile because you're not the culture trend setting white male that our society requires you to be. It's okay. So I just did a quick Google of video games and girls. Yes. She said, Google. No, it's from Wayne's world. (laughs) Okay. So the top 15 video games for women, the top one, Ben is bejeweled. And then we have brain age, Farmville, little big planet. Like it's, some of them are okay. Like some of the, like there's, they mentioned Final Fantasy and Mass Effect and they're like, okay, you're kind of like, but like, fuck you. So we get into a thing here where like, who compiled the list? What is their bias? You know, like, yes. and, and also, but then we get back to sort of the crux here. That is if Bejeweled is the top yeah. finger quotes, uh, not finger quotes isn't the right thing. If it actually were the top female chosen game, uh, what the fuck is wrong with that? Exactly. Like, Nothing. But Maybe Bejeweled it's... has something, a merit to it that uh, we need to stop and consider as opposed to just, you know, shitting on people who enjoy it. And that's like all, I don't like any of these BuzzFeed-esque type lists. Um, and that's another thing I've got to. Yeah. What happened to you, BuzzFeed? Just, just kidding. You were always like this. You know, it's so weird that they're like, kind of, they have these really, you know, newsworthy moments where they like break the news and they're like cutting edge and then they go to reddit and copy someone's post and then send it out oh that pisses me off to no end do your own journalism douchebags content mill it's just so i mean this is sort of getting into that area of sort of the stigmatization of being a gamer and i think part of that is you can tell me what you think of this but like part of that has to be that we as millennials are basically we have to be the first group that would ever have played video games long enough to even bother considering gamer as a part of an identity of how we think of ourselves. Um, like there just wasn't a group that had video games long enough to think of themselves that way previously. So how could we expect those generations to accept that as something that could be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not necessarily benign, but yeah, benign. Like it's just, it, it is a thing that we are as opposed to being a negative or a positive future okay past generations that are our elders didn't have video games the same way that we grew up with but they had sports and then you look at this like cult worship of athletes yeah and like i I, i'm sure we all know people who spend hours upon hours watching football or hockey they spend all of their money traveling across the world following their favorite sports teams and we're like oh yeah they're a sports fanatic and that's just that's okay that that's a part of their personality and you know, you can be a gal or you can be a guy or you could be non-binary, but if you like football, like that's an okay thing. But the second someone's like, oh, I really like, but and not even video games. Even if you're just like, I like comic books, I like um, tabletop games, anything like that in that kind of like dork realm, all of a sudden like, whoa, what's wrong with you, loser? Like you're dressed up with a watermelon on your head, sir. And you were wearing a diaper 
because you don't want to wait in line at the bathroom at the arena. I 100% got lost there for a second. It's like I went somewhere else and then I came back and you're talking about people with watermelons on their head. And I was completely lost. And then I realized we're talking sports and cheese and watermelons. Sports, on your head. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the thing that like people can do stuff like that. And they're like, oh, that's totally like, well, I mean, Lexi, calm down. They're they're a sports fan. Like, oh, OK. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out to me. They're not the dorks. We are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's uh, so I yeah. It is an interesting place. Why is it? And even like, how come it's okay for people to sit on for hours and hours and watch reality TV shows or sports or whatever? And we're like, yeah, that's just their hobby is watching TV, or like, what's the difference? So Lexi had a, a chance to chat with a very interesting individual that we found on Reddit that you found on Reddit, I give you credit. Um, and we're going to include that interview at the end of this episode today. Um, yeah. But he has found himself uh, addressing sort of the stigma, the stigmatization of, of gaming, um, and then found a way to sort of overcome that and develop a practice around treating mental health with uh, gaming and aspects of gaming, which is Interesting, because when I tried to prep for this episode, Googling mental health and gaming mostly brought up lists of reasons Mm -hmm. that gaming was terrible. Uh, I found a video uh, from this one guy from something called Game Quitters, who's all like talking about the shame and stigma of gaming. And then like, I thought that was going to be a positive thing. And then it turns out it was all about leaving gaming behind and becoming a better, more developed human being. And I'm like, oh, what? (laughs) What? I thought you were going to be positive. (laughs) It took a turn. Yeah. Um, and just like, you know, the most positive article I could find still had, you know, more points for the negative of gaming, lack of physical activity, possible addiction, possible avoidance of life issues. Hey, guess what? I can do that with anything. Addictive personalities don't need a specific thing. They, they find, you know, and people in mental distress find ways of coping, you know, um, and, and you think we'd realize that by now and not need to to try and scapegoat gaming necessarily like yeah Mm -hmm. if i did anything to an unhealthy degree it's going to affect my physical activity you know avoidance of life issues could become an addiction moderation is key like yes i agree how is that specific to video games and are we being disingenuous by sort of trying to apply it as something that's specific to video games so that's that's an interesting an interesting thing just to run into trying to think about the uh, juxtaposition of these two things, mental health and, and gaming and, and the stigmatization of both of them. And yeah, just, just negative, negative views all around. So. Yeah. It's, it's such a oddly complex topic that you, I don't think we talk about enough because you're right. There's so many people that you'll remember like when um, Goldeneye came out, there were so many people talking about, these violent video games are what's causing all the violence of the kids. And a recent study came out saying there's absolutely zero link between violent video games and violent behavior on mass and kids. Well, did, did reading violent books make people violent? Yeah. Like Stephen King is one of the most celebrated authors in the world. And like, <laughs> here we are, you know, like how many times did Julius Caesar get stabbed in that, in that great theatrical many times. play? Like, did that make everybody violent? Like, it just doesn't hold up when you start looking at things. And, you know, disclaimer, I am uh, not a, uh, a clinical therapist yes. or psychologist or anything, but I feel like there's some basic things here that we can understand um, just through through reading and, and understanding how addictions and stuff works. But yeah, so the stigmatization around mental health is uh, is interesting as well in that we 
sort of have tried to hide that away and and necessarily blame other things for mental health disorders instead of addressing the root problem and dealing with our mental health issues. Uh, well, it's a Band-Aid solution, right? Like saying, oh, you just need to be happier. You just need to stop playing video games, yeah. go outside, eat a healthy diet. Exactly. That's exactly where I'm trying to get yeah. with this, which is like gaming has become this sort of, uh, I guess, scapegoat or, or a lightning rod for what we really need to be discussing and addressing, which is our mental health. And um, yeah, this is an interesting part because I'm just getting into therapy myself, um, trying to see how that goes for me and dealing with sort of mm-hmm. some anxieties that have spiked with uh, becoming a, a dad a, but also like leaving my career to become a full-time, you know, stay-at-home parent and how that has changed my ability to look at the world and, and process certain things. So I'm on that journey myself now and trying to figure that out. And uh, just being able to say that stuff out loud is actually almost a little bit difficult right now, just saying mm-hmm. like, I'm doing this and uh, I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know what's going on with it. But like, yeah, I'm hesitant to even say it and, and discuss it openly. Well, it's because people don't talk about that, right? Like if you say, oh, I was at the doctor the other day, people are like, oh, okay, how, how did that go? Yeah. But if you say, oh, I was talking to my counselor, there's like this weird kind of like, Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm doing sessions with and my And like therapist. the conversation just kind of stops. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. And, and it's also, you know, there's a cross section there again with sort of white male patriarchy and stuff like that in this... <laughs> this lack of an ability to be fragile or delicate or in need of help. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's very interesting. And also, you know, because gaming is so tied up with sort of white male identity as well, for better or for worse. I mean, I don't necessarily F with that as a, as a true to life sort of description, but they are definitely, I guess they're the group in, in many things that sort of take it on as their identity, whether it's rightfully theirs or not. I say theirs being a white male. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot to own up to and, and work on. And uh, yeah, gaming and, and mental health are, are some big pieces of that. Well, and I really feel like anyone who's participated in the mental health system in Canada, especially here in Alberta, it ain't great. It's really hard to engage in the system if you, especially if you don't have the means to pay for um, things. Like if it's the, the waiting game, the stigmatization, the like, it's so difficult. And even Mike talks about, you know, it takes a while to find a counselor or a therapist that you kind of gel with. And people think I'm going to go talk to this person. I'm going to sit in a room. They're going to tell me to go do some things and then I'm going to be better. And it's like, it's not like that. And it's, it's such a process. And I always feel like, that to me, like video games are a process. Like you learn, you, especially like RPGs, like you're building up your character, you're developing different skills and tools and you're, you're building your character over time. And that's what therapy and counseling and like reflection is. You are accessing different parts and different skills to make like a more resilient person to make you better, (laughs) to make you good enough to be here. Otherwise you're out of here. You're out. And if you don't, vastly level up you're gone but think about like how everybody was all about those uh, adult coloring books and like mandalas as a form of therapy and like why are we cool with that but then if someone is to say like actually let's use D to work through our anxieties or to talk about our depression or to talk about whatever 
Why is that so crazy? Role play scenario that you can't necessarily talk out because it's just too traumatic or you can't find the right words. Yeah, no, it seems valid to me, and it's well. And um, my, I've got another issue that I'm going to be talking about on my other podcast here, Ben, um, about art therapy because people throw around that term left and right, and they're like, "I'm just doing art therapy this week," and like, "No, you're not. You're coloring. That's different." And art therapy is more and more starting to be recognized as a valuable um, part of the mental health world. And for a long time, it was seen as just like gobbledygook. And the problem is a lot of teachers, really valuable, wonderful art teachers say, I'm going to do art therapy. And it's like, no, you're not a counselor. You are not a trained, accredited person. Because if you are opening up trauma, you have to understand how to deal with it. And so that's why someone like Mike working through um, really severe traumas with people or people that have some, you know, pretty serious mental health things going on. If he's playing D and D with them, there's actually so much more going on and he's trained to be able to support that person. And I just love the fact that we've got more people out there that are trying these different niche areas to support people where they're at, because a lot of people take comfort in art or take comfort in their video games, and that's going to help them get support without having to be so outside their comfort zone that that's going to be an additional trauma. So your issue isn't necessarily with the idea of somebody doing art as therapy. It's the idea of um, devaluing art therapy by throwing around the terminology when you're not actually professional or aren't actually doing it in a, in a a therapeutic or or controlled or supervised manner. And there's a way like you can do it as like, when we talk about like self therapy, like, using your tools in your toolkit. And definitely if you know drawing is something that helps you to relax, calm down, that's one thing. But you then saying, I'm going to go have a serious conversation with a person and I'm going to use art to help them address their trauma or depression, whatever. And you're not a trained counselor. That's not okay. So you're being glib. Yes. (laughs) Not you. The, uh, the, the, the fictitious person we've made up here. Yes. Uh, uh, shittily banding about words. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm just thinking to myself, like, where do I go when I am stressed? I draw and I shut my brain off yeah. and I focus on art. So, I mean, it isn't therapy, capital T, you know, supervised, but it is a, a coping mechanism that would be an, a part of therapy. And gaming is that for me as well. Oh, totally. And it always has been since I was younger and came from a very, you know, stressful and uh, I don't know what the right terminology for you know, euphemism for talking about a, a kind of a, a rough upbringing, mm-hmm. but uh, video games were that escape for me then as well. And, and uh, you know, tabletop role-playing games as well. Like those are, those are places to get out of this place mm-hmm. and, and not be here for a while. And, and I guess I could see how some people might consider that avoidance, but uh, I consider it a coping mechanism to de-stress and, and uh, find a way back to, uh, to a level where I can handle anxieties again. Well, like, is there some people that will go for like a run to like, what's the difference? Yeah. It's on my, that's there too. And it's literally for me, the exact same thing as gaming and drawing uh, and cooking and washing dishes. It's about shutting my brain down for a while. So I don't spiral in on some sort of issue and uh, just let go and be where I'm at for a bit doing the thing I'm at. Um, I don't know if that's anything. I'll talk about that with my therapist, I guess. <laughs> Good. But yeah, I just want to be able to say that, you know, 
I'm 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 doing therapy and I uh, and I'm also I guess I'm a gamer. I wonder if part of the stigma too around gaming is that people don't realize that they're gamers. We've touched on this before too, but like mm-hmm. the sort of gatekeeping to the validity of a video game is an interesting aspect where yeah, you know, mobile games, iOS games, that sort of stuff isn't generally allowed to be a video game. So I wonder if maybe video games or being a gamer as sort of an identity would be better accepted if people realize that they probably already are a gamer and don't realize it. Yeah. You also don't have to name it. Like I wouldn't call myself an athlete, but I still like to work out Mm. and I still like to be active. Um, Yeah. But you know what? If you want to call yourself an athlete, why the fuck not? You're not a professional athlete. Yeah. That's a good point too. Name it. Don't name it. Yeah. I think this is where I find this discussion the most interesting Mm -hmm. is sort of like, why, why can't you? Why not? If you're doing athletics, are you not an athlete? That's a good point. But if you draw, are you not an artist? Exactly. Right? Yeah. No, that's, yeah, I see that. So you run into people all the time who don't think that their art's good enough to consider themselves an artist. Mm-hmm. But you are. You're making art that makes you an artist. Are you a professional artist? Uh, I don't know. How much did you get paid for that last drawing? <laughs> and then tell me how you did it. Please, because we would like to make some money here. <laughs> we need to make some money on our art. We are artists. Uh, no, it's so, I don't know. I, I feel like you should be an athlete. I might have gone off on a tangent no, it, for the first time ever in the history of our show. What? Tangent? Yeah. No, I, I like that. And I, I really just appreciate, too, like the more conversation about like normalizing mental health. And um, let's put it out there. Why can't we talk about it? And I mean, obviously, trigger warnings and things like that. We're not going to talk about things that are like openly traumatic, but we encourage people to. Or traumatic. Traumatic. Oh, gosh. Traumatic. Uh, Traumatic. Jess, please don't keep that. No, no, please just do. That's going to be our, that's going to be our clip for the next episode. We're going to have a lot of little like catchphrases. Traumatic. Uh, Reddit has become like I know a lot of people hate Reddit and think it's super toxic, and I do agree. There's a lot of really it's based on the community that you're participating. Exactly, in. like my knitting community, so supportive. And even um, I joined the girl gamer subreddit. Nice. And one of the creators from Unpacking was on there, and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to ask her a question." And I found all the questions that I saw anyway. So super positive and like congratulatory. And also if you haven't played Unpacking, I love that game. I played it in like two days and it was cute as hell. I've never even heard of it. All you do is unpack boxes and put shit away, but it sounds stupid, but it isn't. It's so lovely and the game is so well thought out and it tells you this lovely narrative of like a person's life. It's such a great game. Well, it's about execution, right? Like this is... It's not about the idea, which a lot of people get hung up on. How do you come up with your ideas? I've heard uh, asked of many people I know, especially in the comic industry. And it's like, it's not necessarily about that. Ideas are easy. You can come up with an idea. Executing it is hard. Yeah. <laughs> finish <laughs> finish that idea. Finish it off. Well, and that's Complete it. why some of these really small, and I'd like to do an episode on our favorite indie games. And that's what I love about something. How do we do that without it just being Stardew? Okay, that'll be the rule. Every time you mention Stardew, you have to put a yeah, you can't talk jar. about Stardew. And every time we mention it, we have to put like a dollar in the jar. Okay. That'll be the money that we hide out in the woods somewhere. Or give to a charity or something. Yeah, that probably sounds better. <laughs> but I just feel like it's 
it's so nice to have a community of people that are coming together to be like, Hey, I like video games and I'm a girl and identify as a, as a female. And people are like, yeah, me too. Cool. And that's, that's it. Like no one's saying mean shit. And that's a lovely world. Yeah. Finding a community without people saying mean shit on the internet is, is difficult. Very hard to do. Oh, are we going to do who's that Pokemon or is this like not a respectful way to, I don't know. I mean, it's our show. We're, we're not like trying to, actually give people therapy no. mental health and we're just trying to like talk about two things that we've seen sort of stigmatized that also have some overlap which is gaming and mm-hmm. and mental health i think we can do whatever the fuck we want um you got one ready to go or should i come up with one no do it you do it you do it and is it an actual pokemon or are you like describing margaret atwood you're not gonna know until uh, i start describing okay, uh that one for you uh, You're looking up a picture of a Pokemon right yeah, now, aren't you? I am. <laughs> uh, here we go. Who's that Pokemon? Uh, so this Pokemon, the silhouette, is sort of a square uh, that uh, is on top of another rectangle, and then uh, sort of breaking the uh, the field between the rectangles is another rectangle that's sort of off to the side. And then there's sort of another rectangle on top of that. Is it Onyx? It's not. It's Onyx. It's Mr. Mime? It's, it's close. That's not bad. Mr. Mime's pretty close. Uh, tell me if you want me to give you the answer. No, just keep describing all the different rectangles. That's helpful. Uh, so right now we have a sort of medium-sized rectangle stacked on top of a much larger rectangle. And then breaking sort of the field of that rectangle is a uh, smallish rectangle. Um, and then on top of that rectangle is yet another smaller rectangle. And that's uh, the silhouette that you get to see right now. The hell is it? Well, okay, I have no idea. what. It, who is it? It's Roger Ebert giving you one thumb up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you the picture. Oh, that's the best one so far. Over on the side, there's a link. I love that you use Bing for, oh, you know what? That is the best. I see 100%. He is a series of rectangles. He's totally a series of rectangles. It makes me want to draw him. Yes, as like a Minecraft character. I've never seen a human being be more rectangles just stacked together. Oh, that was funny. Anyhow. I mean, as misguided as, uh, you know, rest in peace, Roger Ebert was, I'm not here to throw any major shade. I, as an artist, just think it's interesting when somebody ends up being just a combination of a bunch of shapes, Uh, particularly one shape. I look at people and I'm like, how many shapes are you made out of? Like, that's a triangle. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like what shapes are you? If I needed to silhouette you for a character design course, what would it look like? Yeah, definitely. How would I you know, sort of exaggerate your proportions into something that somebody could read as you. I totally see things like that. I also constantly just see faces and everything. Maybe that's everybody though. Like, oh, is this a cute little cartoon character? I used to have this wood door um, on my closet when I was growing up and it had such deep rings and paneling in it. Yeah, and all you could ever see was Roger Ebert staring at you. Well, now, I mean, I'm not gonna be able to sleep anymore. Who's that Pokemon? It's Roger Ebert. <laughs> That's our break. Uh, so that kind of brings us to the end of this discussion. You know, did we solve anything? Probably not. But uh, I think we can uh, both say that, you know, we're gamers. 
we're both, you know, people that need mental help on occasion and, and therapy and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's Everybody does. we just need to treat yeah. mental health the way we treat all health. And uh, gaming is just another, another medium for expression and art and, and therapy like the rest of them and not sort of yeah. try to single that out as being some sort of, you know, black mire or morass of, of, uh, of mental health. It doesn't need to be, it's, it's its own thing. We need to judge it on the merits and how it's used specifically by certain people and, and, and deal with the mental health issues associated with that or use them for therapy. However, whatever you get what I'm saying, you get what I'm laying down. Yep. Oh, totally. And that brings us to uh, the first time we've ever done an interview. Uh, Lexi had the chance to speak with Mike, the nerd therapist. So listen to the interview. Mike talks about some really incredible things. He is working out of Western Australia, so it isn't super on point with Western Canada. But the one thing I've definitely learned from that conversation with Mike is that it is an international movement in counseling and therapy. So there are um, elements of geek therapy, as it is so lovingly referred to, all across the world. Right. And so by not on point, you mean you're not necessarily going to be able to go find Dr. Mike and book a session with him? No, he was very clear about that. He, I, I did, I made a comment because talking to Mike made me feel a lot better. And at no point, I want to be very clear about this. At no point was it a counseling session. Mike was very clear about he is not certified to offer counseling or therapy to folks outside of where he's certified to. So even though he's awesome and you can learn a lot about his practice and about this form of counseling you can't go and actually learn from mike or um go to one of his counseling sessions unless you are located in his um in his zone of influence yeah zone of truth it's a spell from D. &D. just bringing it just just bringing it together here good enjoy the interview Thank you so much for agreeing to chat. No worries. Thank you for inviting me. It's always fun to have a bit of a chat about what I do with people who understand it, which is always really nice. Do you have a lot of people that are like completely confused about what you do? Yeah, I actually find like a lot of people in the field aren't super into nerdy stuff. So I actually run a special project, which explains it to them, which is how I got started doing this sort of thing. Yeah, that was one of my first questions was how you came to find this very like niche part of counseling or mental health. Like, how did you happen upon it? People tell you, like when you're working in, especially in private practice as a, in mental health, they tell you to find your niche and it gets really annoying if you haven't found it yet. Because I just wanted to help people, especially people who struggled with accessing counseling. And I was working in an elementary school last year. And I did a, a chart, like a behavior or an emotions chart for a student. And we used Star Wars characters, but his teacher had never seen Star Wars. So I wrote her character biographies of why Luke Skywalker is good mood, Mace Winder is on the edge, and Darth Vader is a bad mood. And I'm in a lot of therapist groups on Facebook, and there's every other day there's a question about like, hey, what's, what's this thing? What's Fortnite? What's Pokemon? What's Minecraft? And they get a lot of disingenuous answers, like Fortnite I've seen referred to as like a murder simulator or a, a mass murder shooting game. Pokemon once referred got referred to as a dogfighting game for kids. Oh. 
That's a that isn't nice. It's not inaccurate, but it's incredibly disingenuous. I got sick of typing essays directly into Facebook, so I created a website in secret called The Nerd Therapist, and it would explain, okay, here's Fortnite, here's the aim of the game, here's your resources, here's why everyone's playing it, and here's how you can use it in therapy. Um, so it's all about building insights into the media itself and then helping professionals realize there's actually application, this clinical application to this. You can talk about teamwork and talk about communication skills, you can talk about motivation. You can even talk about like personal values and like the preferred play style. So, hey, why do you prefer, why do you always use shotguns? It's just prompts for conversations and building skills. So I made that website in secret because uh, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to catch heat for this. Mm -hmm. This is really just not going to be seen as professional. I'm going to get some negativity. I'm going to get some blowback from this one. Um, so I made it in secret. And anytime one of these comment threads pulled up, I'm just gonna be like, oh, hey, I found this website that explains this stuff. Yeah, you should go read it. And I think within a month, I had 500 followers, all from professional the professional world. Wow. So it was clinical psychologists, criminologists, school teachers, university lecturers, people that work in child protection. It was really like people with impressive job titles and letters after their name were following this resource because it was helping. It was a, It's the first, like one of the first of its kind. I actually was talking about it with someone who works for an autism advocacy service here in Perth, and she said there is not a not there is not one resource for pop culture. You can get a consultant for any cultural group, but as soon as you need to know about something nerdy, there's no one for it. And you better hope one of your IT guys is up for a conversation. Well, it's not really seen as like a a culture. Really, it's seen as a pastime or some like a hobby. It's not really recognized as an actual part of society yeah so over time i think after six weeks i'd had a job offer uh the page had had a job offer and professional inquiries a whole bunch of followers but the most important thing was no negativity not even a little passive aggressive like smart alecky comment there's no negativity but it's the internet that's an achievement <laughs> yeah i'll say so i went public I'm like, okay, this is me. This is my practice. And I had a counseling practice for about four months at that point. And it was very, very counselory, very touchy-feely earth tones, trauma, depression, anxiety. It was generic and I felt generic. But realizing this is actually something I could do to help people feel heard. And then, you know, I started getting calls from people. They're like, hey, you know, I went to see a psychologist, but when I told her she played video games, I played video games, she laughed at me. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that sucks. Uh, I'm so sorry that's been your experience. Uh, I won't laugh at you. What do you play? <laughs> oh, I'm going to criticize you for playing that because I don't think it's a good game. But, you know, it was more, we could, we could banter and we could build conversations that way. And then a bit of a time jump here. But after about running that project for four days, I got a call offering me a job to run D&D uh, &D for autistic boys uh, therapeutically. And my first thought was, why, why aren't I doing that? So I probably spent the next month. So I went live. I went full open as a nerdy therapist and then actually opened up D&D &D therapy. We had the first anniversary of the first post a couple of weeks ago. Wow. So, hey, I'm doing D&D &D therapy. Who wants in? That's amazing. Yeah, it's something that, like, as you talk about it, it makes so much sense. And it's, 
it seems like such a great way to connect with people to be able to start those conversations because I, I feel like so many people think, oh, I don't need counseling. I don't need to go to therapy um, because it doesn't fit them. It seems like a very, like you say, like touchy feely. Mm. I don't want to go sit in a room and talk about my feelings with a person. That's super intimidating. Yeah. But at the same time, they know that they need help, but it's about finding that right counselor. And that's the thing you can, they reckon it can take up to four counselors to find the person you vibe with. And, you know, I've worked with a lot of people who've been kind of belittled or disparaged for playing video games. Or I've worked with young people whose parents were accused of being like bad parents because they let their kids play games. They were treated as not good parents. And it's like, that's, that's heinous. That's ridiculous. And so you shouldn't, I can't think of anything more damaging to the, like the therapeutic relationship than belittling someone for how they're choosing to spend their time, as long as it's not actively criminal or destructive. So there's a lot of myths and there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of you know, borderline propaganda about video gaming out there and the, what it does. And I'm trying to work kind of against that. The Nerd Therapist blog ended up becoming pop culture competence because I want this taken more seriously. I want it seen as, as a subcultural group. It's a group in society, and I'm trying to advocate for that, for that professional recognition, because it's not. It's seen as, at, at best, it's seen as like a quirky pastime. At worst, it's seen as like rehearsal for criminal behavior. Or refusing to grow up. Yeah, and it's not what the science is showing us. So I, yeah, did that. And I think for the most validating one was I did an article on Grand Theft Auto which I was hesitant to do that because that's one of those games that is very strongly opinioned. But I did it. I did an article about uh, GTA and how you could apply that, like the conversations about it in therapy. And again, it comes down to teamwork. You need to be able to work. You can't, you can't pull off a successful heist if the team aren't cooperating. Uh, your team needs to cooperate. They need to communicate. Also talked about like why people do crime because the motivations of the characters in GTA 5 are kind of diverse did this whole thing on GTA and actually got a message from a clinical psychologist. She's like, I never thought about GTA like this before. I don't play games, but I'd never actually thought that there could be a pro-social conversation about it. I'm like, yeah, neither did I till I sat down and thought about it. And that's why I write this. That's why I write this blog is to create and empower conversations because it's still going. Like it makes me feel a lot better because I definitely feel that I don't know any, maybe like Ben's wife is the only person or a, only other woman I know that plays video games as an adult. And so I, I definitely feel like I can't talk about it mm -hmm. with women I work with, people like my neighbors. And it is a very stigmatizing, mm. it, and it's so weird because it shouldn't be like a dirty little secret. It's just video games. Why is it so shunned? Uh, you, you had like the 90s happened and the the panic around pop culture kind of riding on the coattails of the satanic panic from the eighties. And, but my, my view on this is always the case of the people who criticize me most for playing games spent an equal amount of time, if not longer watching TV. Mm -hmm. And I've never seen the argument as valid because in gaming, I am engaged in something. I'm problem solving. I'm thinking I am hearing a story. I'm not just watching. Ooh, it's CSI again. So, yeah, there's a lot of stigma and there's a lot of like negative portrayals. That's why I really don't like Big Bang Theory. I just don't like the show. 
in equal parts because it highlights a lot of like really distasteful and inaccurate nerd stereotypes. And then in other times it's completely accurate and kind of cringy. Because <laughs> I think we all, we all know some of these characters and it's frustrating to be reminded of that. Well, some of the characters seem like they they want to be portrayed on the spectrum and the jokes seem like they're very much at the expense of like, haha, you are on the autism spectrum, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I, autism isn't a punchline. Yeah. Unless you're an autistic comedian and then you do your... Yeah. Um, I can't remember their names, so I, I follow some really funny autistic comedians on TikTok. And they do, and that's fine, because that's them. That's self-referential. That's, but no, a, a big a big style TV show using using neurodiversity as a punchline isn't funny. It's such an interesting um, niche that you've found, because it really seems like it, it, it could be like an international movement. And so are you aware of anybody doing anything similar in other parts of the world? There is an international movement. It's called the Geek Therapy Community. It is a group on Facebook. I think there's about 5,300 or so people on there. A lot of Americans. Um, I wouldn't say they're all active members. A lot of them, it's equal. It's not an equal relationship. There's a lot of people there who are actively in the geek therapy community doing geeky therapy, like D&D therapy, Minecraft. D&D and Minecraft are the two big ones. And then you've got people there to learn about it. So you've got people that have come in for stuff like the Pop Culture Competence Project and they are learning about this thing for their clients. Because when you're working with young people, when you're working with the nerds, when you're working with autistic kids, you need to learn this stuff. And sometimes they're sick of explaining it. Mm -hmm. Or you are going to have to sit there for but your entire session. And I'd love to sit there for an entire session and learn about Pokemon. But... When you only get so many sessions, it can be challenging to fit that in. So it's where professionals who do consult on these things are very helpful because you can get a little crash course in, okay, my newest client's really into Beyblades. What can we do? And then people will just dogpile that with their opinions and stuff about Beyblades, which is really good because in some groups, when you start that conversation, they'll go, oh, more cartoons. But in geek therapy community, they'll go, okay, this is this character's personal story and how it affects your client. Here's some game mechanics, here's some stuff. Uh, and it's all just that shared knowledge. It's really awesome to see it. Yeah, that's it's amazing to see the world kind of coming together to push this more into the forefront. So that's, that's great to hear. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there creating some really awesome resources for it too, which is really nice. You can chat with all sorts of folks and they find out what they're doing. You know, there's people creating therapy rpgs there's people creating courses to teach you how to do minecraft and therapy minecraft and roblox are the two big ones in terms of video games why do you think that is minecraft is well, it's minecraft uh minecraft is amazing it's digital lego it's incredibly popular because it's not that expensive it's all it's got an educational acceptance as well you, know, you can get the minecraft education edition which is used in schools mm -hmm. and i think that's the first time a video game has been so accepted by schools. There wasn't specifically some really badly made educational video game where you do two plus four and it shoots a little animated like ray gun thing or something. Math blaster we had when I was at school. Oh yeah. So it's it's accepted and it's good and you've got a lot of flexibility in the creative. You, know, you can turn on creative mode and turn off monsters, and then it becomes that creative space. It becomes digital Lego. You've got that flexibility to really do what you want. 
why did you decide to go into counseling? Why was this your chosen career pathway? If you're open to talking about that. Oh, this is a, that's a story here. Yeah. Uh, so I am a high school dropout. Um, I didn't finish high school over here in Australia. You don't specifically have to, as long as you have like a job. I went to study uh, computer engineering, which was fun, but mostly to get me out of school. Now, I eventually ended up in the construction industry building railways. And the construction industry here is going through a mental health crisis. And we had a lot of concerns. We had a lot of crises. And we had a mental health uh, charity called Mates in Construction actually come out to our site to give us a talk about mental health and like keeping an eye out for red flags and warning signs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then six months later, the project I was on, the, my, the railway I was building was nearly done. And there wasn't a lot of work coming up. So I thought, okay, I want to do something else. I don't want to keep living in the outback, in the uh, in the desert straight out of Mad Max. I don't want to be living up here anymore. Uh, I want to go back to the city. I want to be with my family. So I found a way into found a sp- uh, way into uni. Some friends gave me some advice on how to get into uni. And I thought to myself, what do I want to do? Well, I've got this choice now. Uh, this choice is going to be a time and money investment, but it's still like, what do I do? And I thought to myself, I'm spending four to eight hours a day in the world of Warcraft healing people. I am choosing to spend my time supporting other people. And if that doesn't say something about what I should be doing, I can't see what else would. So I thought, you know, how can I help people? It's like, oh, I don't have the, I don't have the time or the, I just didn't see myself doing medicine. And we just had those mental health talks. I'm like, I could do mental health. I could do this. So I applied. Um, studied a degree in psychology and counseling and graduated in February 2020 before things got weird. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a, a funny time to be finishing school and heading out into the world of careers and everything. Yeah. Do you think that COVID really exacerbated a lot of um, underlying mental health? like? I guess my question is, do you think COVID maybe started more issues or did it just unearth what was already there? Both. I feel like it really unearthed stuff because it took away a lot of people's coping skills. Uh, Because if you're a highly social person, your ability to socialize and go out and do stuff has been impacted. If you're a highly sociable person, if you're a person that craves touch and experience and sensation from other people, it's going to suck to not be allowed to do that or to have that underlying risk and anxiety of doing that. Even now, like I'm in, I'm in Australia, I'm in Perth, Australia, and we've had next to no cases this year. We've had, I think two weeks of masks this year, two or three weeks of masks this year, maybe two weeks of lockdown, just snap lockdowns. When there's been a couple of cases, we lock down, wait for them to go away, we get back into it. So we've had, very little COVID here. But even then, there's that underlying anxiety of, okay, being around other people was hazardous last year. And there's going to be a lot of recovery from this time period where it has been borderline dangerous to be around other people in general. It brought a lot to the surface, but it also triggered a bit as well because it took away some people's coping skills um and they had to find new ways of doing things and then it you know it put mental health services onto a real strain that had not been experienced before 
but also those same services were then limited by going digital. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that work in mental health are very, they're, they're people people. They don't want to be doing this. They want to be with that person in that space because there's a, there's a power in that space in the room. When you're doing counseling, there is something to it in that room. And a lot of people weren't comfortable losing that. You know, there's, you know, there's still people that don't like doing online counseling, which is valid because there is, to some people, a difference between talking online and not. I don't have talking points necessarily. Well, I think like re just kind of like hearkening back to what Mike and I talked about was even how he got started was based on stigma. Like he wanted to share right, this part of like right. this niche practice, but felt that he couldn't, that like the psychology counseling community wouldn't take him seriously. Look at him unprofessionally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about that all the time. Right. Like I, I, I always thought in my teaching practice, if I had to teach humanities again, I would want to teach it through games because I think like reading books, of course, but you're supposed to demonstrate other types of medium. And I was talking about that with a person. They were like, why would you want to do that? I was like, cause video games are cool. Can hmm. we not talk about that? <laughs> it's not like I'm telling you something horrible. Like I like to play video games as an adult lady. If, uh, if you want us to do more interviews and stuff, let us know who you want us to talk to. We'll reach out and see if they're interested. And uh, yeah, we'll see if this becomes sort of a thing we do more regularly, chatting with folks and trying to work this into our, our episodes. Uh, it's a fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed listening myself. I was a little too late for me to join in on since I have a, a toddler who likes to scream at me for 12 hours and then I need to go to sleep at like nine o'clock when he does. Um, but it was just a very interesting uh, sort of like conversation with a professional who has has found that sort of balance between their identity as a gamer and, and, and their sort of normalization of uh, therapy as well. Mm -hmm. And we really appreciate Mike taking the time to connect with us. And, you know, it was trying to figure out the time zones because us located in Western Canada and Mike being in Perth, Australia, we, we had some fun looking at some different time zone maps, but um, it was a, it was a great conversation. And Mike has offered if there's questions that people have or any follow-up conversations for the future, Mike has very generously offered um, to come back and chat with us at another time. And we'll drop his uh, social media contacts and stuff in his webpage uh, in our show notes. So you can check that stuff out there. And if you haven't checked out our show notes before, please do. I am getting pretty okay at writing them. Well, they're great. They're fascinating. I steal a lot of what Jess gives us as feedback, our producer on our episodes. And then I add, add a little something of my own in there. A little spice, a little Ben spice in there. All right. That's it. We're out. Enjoy the uh, interview and uh, we'll see you next time. Do, 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 do. Dork, dork. It's a Nardwar reference. You know, right? Oh, yeah. Nardwar. The human serviette. Yeah. Just making sure we're on the same page. Our listeners won't know what the fuck we're talking about. Do, 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 do. do, do. They better. Oh, no. Even in Canada, it's basically Toronto centric, but. Yeah. That's why we're, we're starting our own Western Canadian Broadcasting Network. Nardwar. That's, uh, think about that as we let you go. This is all cut, isn't it? Bye. Oh, yeah. Bye-bye. If you or anyone else you know is experiencing a difficult time, please know that you are not alone and there is help available. In Canada, you can reach out to the Canadian Crisis Hotline at 1-888-353-2273. 
In the show notes, we've also included a list of resources and contact information for North American and international listeners. We love you, fellow dorks. Thanks for listening to Dork Matters. If you like the podcast, subscribe, give a rating, and tell a friend about us. If you are a fellow dork and have a dork issue that you think we need to discuss, tell us on our social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. You can also check out our original art and other content from Ben and myself. We'd like to say a big thank you to Yabra for the use of our theme song Dance off of their Astral EP, as well as a thank you to Jess Schmidt for producing and editing our podcast. Thanks, Jess. Dork Matters. This podcast is created on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Nations, which includes the Sixiga, the Bigani, and the Gaina. We also acknowledge the Stony Nakoda Nation, Sutena, and Metis Region 3. Dork Matters is a proud member of the Alberta Public Radio Podcast Network.